0: Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Idle Chatter. I'm your host, Ray Bohacks, the Hot Rod Farmer from New Jersey, right? Cat Swamp Road. But I guess you all know that, but you never know when somebody new is going to be listening. But I just want to tell you, I am so grateful to be back in sync with you. So, as if you've listened to the past couple of weeks, you know that I had to pull my shows ahead, my episodes ahead, because my uh, art director, my internet guru, uh, was on vacation with her husband in New Zealand, visiting some family there, her husband's family, and uh, she handles posting all of the podcasts, so I had to pull them ahead, and if you did listen, I did tell you that, but now I am in sync, I'm up to date, and this we're back to where we're supposed to be, and I just want to repeat also that I've been Uh, Because of that, I have not given anybody a pin in my map. Well, I've given them a pin in my map. I didn't announce it on on a radio or a TV show or a podcast, right? But I'm going to start, I'm going to get everything back in sync next week and then we're also going to announce the winner of one of the three books which is the john deere book the the international harvester truck book and the far book so you still have time you got a week to get into the contest all you need to do is go to my website farmmachinerydigest.com and you could go to the tab for winning a license plate to get into that contest and fill fill out your name and uh after your name put a dash or a, or a or a uh, slash whatever you want and then say which book you're interested in and as they've been telling you that will accomplish three things number one it will get you into the contest for a hot rod farmer license plate it will get you into the contest for the book that you hope to win right if you're if you're a john deere guy i don't want to give you a case book or whatever and so uh or far more book i should say and uh, the third thing which is a blessing to me is that i get a pin in my map knowing where you listen from and that is as i always say it is simply because i want to be able to gener- generate better content that's going to serve you more so that is what that is all about all right so uh so please please do that and today's show is going to be a uh I guess like a family reunion, like, uh, you know, what's what's going on on this end, all right? And I wish I could have a dialogue. I did have a partial dialogue with some people through emails. If I did not respond to someone's email, please forgive me and send it again. Hot Rod Farmer at FarmMachineryDigest.com. Of course, I just came home the other day from Georgia. I was down in, in Agco Corporation, which I'll tell you about also, probably later on in the show if i if i don't forget uh we'll, we'll get off on a on a tangent which i'm so famous for getting off on right and um i had like 300 something emails and uh, some of them were junk obviously you get those garbage emails you don't get you don't get junk mail anymore you get junk emails but anyway but uh, there was some junk emails in there but there was probably 250 i, I don't know 200 whatever the number was an overwhelming number of emails that uh, i had to look at and i've had i have had the habit of accidentally erasing something that i should not have gotten should have erased so please forgive me i always respond back to everyone maybe not in the the knee-jerk reaction but i always will and uh, I try to do it as timely as possible because, you know, hey, you, you send an email, you send a correspondence to somebody, you want to hear back from them, even if it's one word, right? I mean, I'm, yeah, I mean, you're, I'm no different than you and you are no different than me. You want to have the respect of some sort of correspondence. But today, let's forget about it. Respect is out the window, right? You just, uh, yeah, I'll talk about that a little bit also. Uh, so please send it to me again because I did mess up. It was my faux pas, and I erased it. So by the time you hear this show, if I didn't get back to you, then I erased your email accidentally, and either read it and then erased it, or a combination of the above. All right. So, uh, and I'm gonna go through a random. Like I said, this show is gonna be different. It's gonna be like, hey, let's get back in touch with one another. It's not really doesn't have a technical uh, topic. I do have. Uh, two letters that i am going to address in this episode and i want to bring you up to date on my red on my register on my generator and uh a couple other things here so first of all and this is in no order whatsoever because that's not the way i do things well i do do some things in order right if it's a mechanical procedure a farming procedure you have to do that in order but this is not in order all right the first thing i want to do is i want to give a big old cat swamp road shout out to mr joel rand r-i-n-d from iowa and he wrote me a very nice note before i went away and he and, and mr rand must have read me and hemming's muscle machines i would assume years ago because he mentioned uh an old customer of mine terry fitzgerald who was a uh, who is i should say god willing he's still alive uh, i lost we lost track of each other that's the best way for me to say it we drifted apart and uh he was a physician's assistant and i believe he worked in the operating room out in long island and he had a turbo transam and a uh at the time brand new turbo transam and at the time a brand new zr1 corvette and uh Terry went with me to a show called PRI Performance Racing Industries. It's almost like the commodity classic or whatever of uh, the performance industry. It's a really good show. I haven't been there for many many years, but well, it used to be a good show. And uh, it everything there was technical. There was machinery, parts, engine blocks. It was no dress up items. There's no there was no wheels. There was no tires. If it didn't if it didn't do something mechanically, it was not it was not at PRI. And uh, with a SEMA show in Las Vegas was all, was predominantly all glitz. So I had never believe it or not, I've never had gone to I've never have gone to the SEMA show, nor do I plan on going there. No disrespect to SEMA, because I think they bought PRI now, but whatever. So uh, so Mr. Rand, Joel Rand, uh, is actually has the blessing of living on the farm that his mother grew up on and uh joel is uh spends his days in des moines which is i think he told me about 70 miles from the farm in the operating room of a hospital there and also teaches medical students but he told me his heart is back on the farm he'd rather be he'd rather be bailing hay on a 90 degree day but he is a john deere man so obviously he wants to win the john deere book so we'll see what happens and uh, they, he sent me some pictures of his farm. It's a beautiful, beautiful operation he has there. And they raise cattle. And uh, his brother is a veterinarian, a large animal veterinarian. So I think that's what a wonderful team they have there. And they, uh, the brother takes care of the cows, the cattle, I should say. And then Joel takes care of the equipment and the field work. So it is wonderful. And I am honored that he. Listens to me, but he did tell me he listens on one point two five x speed. So one, so I guess I must be uh, my shows must be too long, right? Because if he has a one, of the, I must sound like a chipmunk. And I talk fast as it is because I'm from New Jersey. But I'm interested to know. I didn't even, honestly, I didn't even know you could do that. But I am grateful for him to listen and uh for his love for agriculture and machinery. So I want to thank you so much, uh, Mr. Randon, for writing me that nice note. All right, so now the next thing, uh, what I'm going to do is, let me see, I have, a, I have a list here. I normally don't make a list, but I didn't want to forget anything. So anything else for Mr. Randon? Well, uh, he, he, Joel listens on the way to the hospital in Des Moines. I don't know if I'd want to go into the operating room after listening to me, but uh, who knows. But uh, he's blessed to, uh, to be doing surgery there. All right, now Kyle Friday, long time listener from Michigan, he has a question for me about uh, fuel economy on his 2018 Silverado. We're gonna get into that. I'm gonna tell you about my trip uh, down to uh, to Georgia to agco headquarters in fent give you some gas mileage and some other things that i got a little fyi stuff going down there and then let me see what else i'm going to bring you up to date on my briggs and stratton generator i'm sure you're all waiting with bated breath for that right i kind of beat you guys to death with that poor thing but hey i'm just very anal with this stuff i mean it is what it is right so uh and let me see what else uh i told you next week is the winner but what i'm going to do is i think that's it here now i'm going to mess up these papers because i printed them out and uh let's see okay well i got the wrong page here get ready not too professional right but let me give you a bit of a backstory i have a wonderful listener from i always call him and say he's in rhode island But he's actually in in new hampshire i always get those two confused sadly as much as i am a patriot i get those two confused but interestingly enough i met a an older lady at the uh hampton in virginia which i'm going to talk about not about her and she was moving from florida back up to block island and uh which i always thought was part of new york but she said it's part of rhode island and sadly her husband passed away and she's going to move up to block move back to block island uh he's buried there and it's this and she said it's about 13 miles off the mainland so i have to look at the map but i think it's in the ocean and she said it's uh really an interesting place to live but that is not what we're talking about here so i'm off on a tangent again all right, so now, so Bruce, I've, I've, as I started to say, Bruce has been a long-time listener of the show. We've had many communications, and he is an extremely knowledgeable man. I have the utmost respect for his knowledge, his ability. He sent me some pictures of some, of some projects he's done. He's a, a wonderful fabricator, fabricator extraordinaire, and that is a talent that I do not have and then but what's and i always kill his last name so i have to talk to him on the phone one day and find out exactly or he has to email me and and phonetically how to pronounce his name i call it jack uborkus but maybe i have it wrong he will forgive me because i know that because i've butchered his name before so anyway so what happened was that bruce when i when i came back home bruce sent me an email and he took uh i'm lucky Uh, I'm not going to say he took offense, but he disagreed with me what I was saying about uh, uh, having an after, in other words, having a car repaired after a collision. And that was part of my engine, you know, is a rebuilt engine better than a a new engine, or is a new engine better than a rebuilt engine podcast. And I kind of threw that in there as like a segue or to make make uh, an analogy so he 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 took offense to it, and I'm going to use that word. It's not a It's, a, it's probably a little bit too strong for it because he's the the yeah, like. We have an intellectual exchange, and the, and what I basically want to say is that I certainly do not have a. Uh, a uh, uh i hold on uh, that's not even the word i'm looking for I, I i mean i'm not the only one who knows anything so that's why i love to have interactions with my listeners and when i write to my readers because i learn from them so they learn hopefully learn something from me otherwise you'll wasting their time listening uh and i learn from them and so uh so Bruce took, uh, <clears throat> took exception of what I was saying and he brought up some very good points. So I think the, and I told him, I got back to him and then I told him I was going to share his letter with the readers, with the readers, the listeners, because I think it's, it's important for them to hear this. <clears throat> and then I'm going to share my responses, my email responses back to him and then his response back to me. So uh, I think it'll be bring, I know it'll bring, bring great value to you all right so i will read what i'll do is that you understand what's going on i will read his letter to me verbatim i will read my response to him verbatim then his response back to me and then we will go from there and i will probably elaborate a little bit on it and hopefully i don't go too much off on a tangent all righty so here we're going to do we're going to start to read so he says hi ray merry christmas from new hampshire yesterday i listened to your show where you adamantly stated a car can't be repainted to oem quality i respectfully disagree i have done collision repair restoration and painted all kinds of equipment including helicopters there are more paint choices than motor oil and there is no rating system for paint so there is no substitute for experience in the paint field you were certainly a subject matter expert in many in many things, but what is your automotive refinishing experience? When we likely passed each other in the halls of the GM training center in Terrytown, New York, except uh, I should have printed this bigger. I have bad eyes. Uh, when we when we likely passed each other in the halls of the GM training center in Terrytown, except for Cadillac GM had horrible paint peeling issue. I am confident the paint we sprayed then far exceeded oem quality chrysler had a similar issue back then too the only thing that can't be reproduced in the field is electrostatically applied primer and or paint however today's epoxy primers will hold up just as well i'm confident that the current oem finishes are better than ever but to say a shop is incapable of providing an equivalent paint job is just not true a properly applied two or three stage urethane paint job will look as good and last as long or longer than an oem finish with the unbelievable cost of aftermarket paint it is possible for a shop to use an inferior product but that is not to say it can't be done i believe you did a disservice to many professional shops out there who can put out excellent work by having your listeners go into a shop with a preconceived notion that they will leave with a lousy paint job winter is coming and many of your listeners will be having their crashed vehicles repaired soon if they go to a reputable shop they should not already be worried about the refinish about the refinish work yet to be done people often say their car will never be the same after an accident but that is not that is not automatically the case the thing that they should be concerned with is that thanks to carfax prop a properly repaired vehicle will have an ex, an eternal black eye Because of the accident becomes part of the car's history conversely if someone does a backyard collision repair and does not go through insurance you have a junk with a clean carfax am i going off on a tangent now and i apologize for not staying on subject but did i learn that perhaps from you yes you did my friend you did learn it from me because i am the the guru the king of going off on a tangent respectfully yours bruce jack you hopefully i'm pronouncing it properly okay so so that was it and then what i did is i got back to bruce after i got his letter and this is it i'll read that to you verbatim and then we could go from there hey bruce merry christmas to you and yours yours too and our lord's blessing for 2023 i have zero zippo nothing i'm adding that but i had i have zero automotive finish experience myself i never painted a fender but I have many friends that are in the body shop business and have sadly had, and I sadly have had many deer hits over the years. Thus, I have had too many front end repairs of cars along with the side door. So from my experience, I have never had a repaint, regardless of who did it last, like the factory. My escort with nearly 500,000 miles had 150,000 miles when it had a front end hit. The front bumper cover and hood were replaced with new Ford parts. The paint matched beautifully and all looked great. After about 10 months, which is one summer of bugs and a New Jersey winter, it was all peppered with chips. At about 200,000 miles, I had another friend repaint it. Different person, same thing. The same thing again. Another, meaning a different shop, repainted it. Same thing. I gave up at about 400,000 miles i had the same experience with my ranger but the driver's door that was also hit is fine 20 years later dittos with my buick skyhawk back in 1986 and my regal t-type in 1987 and my wife's buick and other cars in 2001 i had the blessing of having a private tour of the corvette assembly plant with all of the production engineers this is i was doing a magazine story and back then you could talk to somebody and they gave me a, a beautiful beautiful private tour it was all, uh, three quarters of the day they took me through the paint shop which is an honor and they usually don't take guests through the paint shop you have to go through the airlock and everything they'll have you look through the window but they don't take you in there but they decided to take me in there which was a blessing to me and never been in a paint shop of a uh, auto or something like that i've seen it but never been in it. let me get back on task here i asked them and they told me the same thing front repaints will never last on a vehicle that sees mostly highway mileage gm told me that a properly applied side of vehicle repaint will be fine and a car that is used mainly around town will enjoy a front repaint with no issues gm told me and then ford also that the paint on the hood and front bumper cover is thicker, and then bleeds thinner as it approaches the windshield. They showed me that with one of those electronic paint thickness gauges that were new back twenty years ago. They had a little gauge, and it was um, it almost it was much it was smaller than a contact non-contact thermometer but they've be able to show you just put it on the paint and it read in 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 mills what the thickness of the paint was so i had heard about that but never saw it before so i so appreciate your thoughts as always maybe i am a unique case running so many highway miles and keeping my cars so long my fiesta has two hundred twenty-one thousand miles now and has no body work at all and has zero front end chips the same with my wife's escape with about 120,000 miles, and she commutes 100 miles per day. I hope you do not mind me sharing your letter with the listeners on the podcast. My intent was not to ding, no pun intended, anyone's quality of work, but my statement was based on my experience over the years and what paint engineers that were good guys and not jerks or waving the company flag have told me. And I think there's another sentence here. Uh, Once again, thank you very much for sharing your wisdom and experience with me i do i so appreciate you as a listener have a blessed day and then bruce got back to me with that let me see if i uh okay and he said i always enjoy our our exchanges the oem paint being thinner at the windshield tells me that they put the minimum there that they could get away with nothing more if your repaint started to look bad after 10 months it was probably shot with lacquer which is easy to spray but gets rock hard I remain that if the proper products are properly applied they should be as good as new. I've painted many semis and dump trucks with acrylic urethane that held up very well over the years and there are brands of paint I would not use if I got them for free. Thank you for all that you do. Bruce. <clears throat> okay. So basically in essence I have I I'm going through empirical experience and uh bruce is talking through practical experience and uh so in essence the take-home message here is we have to learn from bruce and we have to learn from my experience because neither one of us and this is not a matter of being who's right or wrong this is not a a, pardon my language it is a christian man a peeing a pissing contest by no means and bruce and i never do that we have an intellectual exchange so the take-home message here would be that if you that that you can have a front of a car painted and why i say the front of the car is important because it's going to hit everything that's what would happen to my cars is that the paint wouldn't peel off is that it was very prone to chipping and i used to run like when my escort a ton of miles i used to go to michigan i used to go to michigan once a month in ohio twice a month something for about six months or maybe a little bit more than a year i was always on the highway running around all over in the winter you're picking up uh, in in the east coast here we spread what they call grits which is like salt with little stones on it bugs and just whatever and uh the front would get beat up and then you'd get actually uh big divots in the paint but now what we have learned from Bruce's experience is that we, which I never did. I went to four different shops. Two of the shops were friends of mine, so I'm hoping that they didn't spray the wrong stuff. I don't. I wouldn't know lacquer from whatever. All right. All I know is it looked fine when I picked it up. The color matched beautifully. The paint was applied beautifully. Everything matched beautifully. All right. So my only critique was that it did not stand up to road to 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 uh, road debris and bugs and what have you so two of the shops that i used i they knew me i knew them they were in town here the other two shops were friends of mine so we had four different experiences who knows all right but the take-home message here is that if you do experience a front end hit and you do run a lot of highway miles on your vehicle keep them for a long time then what you should basically do and i learned this from bruce uh is talk to the shop and say hey what kind of guarantee are you going to give me and that that i'm not going to say that it never chips but but i mean but it's not very prone to chipping because anybody's paint could chip all right so what they're probably gonna do is tell you to put that clear like 3m vinyl on the front but whatever but i want to thank you so much bruce for uh, for uh for challenging me for lack of better words it's not a challenge and it was never my intent to tell somebody or to say that nobody could ever do a good job i was just learning through um my own practical experience of what the people at the oe engineers that were paint engineers and body men have told me and from what i've had with my cars so uh so that is it so so god forbid if you do have a front now like i said my ranger the side beautiful no bugs, no road debris on the side. Back of the car, fine, right? Unless you go high speed reverse. So that is basically it. So I want. So then again, I want to thank you, Bruce, for sharing that, and that is valuable information for the audience to uh, to glean and to pay attention. So talk to your body shops. God forbid you get into an accident, and you don't want uh, want that if you uh, that paint to be very prone to chipping. All right. So now what I'm going to do is going to tell you a little bit about. Might trip in no particular order again. Uh, because you're family, right? I mean, like, you come home, much like I told my wife all different things. So I'm telling you guys, you might be my family. So, uh, the, the Fiesta did wonderfully. Uh, it 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 bounced between, I think, just shy of 49 miles per gallon to a little bit more than 52. So we'll say 49 to 52 miles per gallon. And that that kind of goes into Kyle Friday's uh, question to me, which we're going to answer, ask in a little bit. So the car ran very, the car ran well. It was the better part of 900, which is about a little bit more, about nine, let's say 900 miles each way. So it was a um, 1800 mile trip back and forth but i'm I'm very very disappointed is that and I knew this but I can't but how built up everything got I haven't been down to Georgia for a number of years and I haven't been down that way for a number of years my wife and I used to go to South Carolina all the time because she likes the beach and we had actually gone to South Carolina on a honeymoon but uh we haven't gone there for a number of years and uh it, it is terrible. I mean, the interstates, I, I'm, I'm, I'll am I'm. i tell you, 80 West, our farm is right off of Route 80, 80 West across, across Pennsylvania is still very, 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 very nice. I mean, the road that separates the east and westbound side far apart. You're going through all farm country, you're not going to any cities. There's not neighborhoods and warehouses and shopping centers and office buildings for, for 315 miles are beautiful. But uh, going, down, going down 81 and then to 77 in North Carolina is still gorgeous by Hillsville there. I mean down 77 to probably about 20 miles north of uh, Lake Norman then Mooresville area. Uh, where all the nascar shops are north of charlotte is still gorgeous beautiful rolling hills black angus cattle other than maybe a gas station or one small truck stop they built has not changed in more than 20 years i've been going down there and just just gorgeous i love that area that's beautiful i think it's too hilly for any good cropland there so everybody's raising cattle but just g- gorgeous beautiful and i'm so happy to see that but from that part and all the way to atlanta well it's, i was in duluth obviously duluth minnesota duluth georgia which is a suburb of atlanta and i stayed in john's creek which is only like three miles away from the Agco facility but took 40 minutes to get there the traffic down in georgia in the atlanta atlanta metropolitan area makes new jersey look like western montana all right and new jersey is bad for traffic but the traffic there is horrendous that whole area wherever i was i don't know what county it was in georgia um but it was the duluth uh, saint uh not saint john's john's creek area uh is a, is a is a textbook example of poor urban planning all right they don't have the roads they have they have They look like they were two-lane country roads 15 years ago with no shoulder, and they put thousands and thousands of houses there, and everything is fancy, schmancy These big houses, these high-end shopping centers, and uh, and every road is called bridge or ferry. And I said, "Where's?" Respectfully, I said to the people, "I go, where is the bridge?" I mean, Medlock Bridge Road. I don't see any bridge. Something was something ferry road. I thought, well, well, this is cool. I said, I'm going to be going over by a ferry. I'm going to see the water. I'm going to be over a bridge. Everything is bridge and ferry. So uh, no disrespect, but whatever, they could keep it. Georgia is a beautiful state when you get into rural areas. But that whole Atlanta area, as far as I'm concerned, is for the birds and terrible. I mean terrible. To a person who lives in Manhattan or a city person, I think it's gorgeous. I mean, expensive in that area—two million dollar, million and a half, two million dollar homes. These high-end shopping centers, all right, and then uh, what have you? Fancy schmancy office buildings, corporate centers. But uh, the traffic and the congestion is is un- is un- unbelievable. But now, the other thing, because you know who I am, right? I'm not politically correct, and whatever it is what it is i mean that's what you get with this guy right from new jersey from cat swamp road and you know my first night i stayed in hillsville virginia which is 545 miles from the farm and then i the next morning i got up and drove down to uh to to uh, whatever i'll call it atlanta i was seven miles from the hotel between me getting lost and the traffic took me an hour and a half to get to the hotel and i was (laughs) thank god i don't drink all right, because I would have, I would have been, I would have been hitting the booze by the time I got there. I mean, it, it was raining, it was foggy. Uh, the forget about it. I mean, the road network. I guess it's all right once you know it, like any place. But it was, it was by no means intuitive or whatsoever. And I will say one thing also is that a, a uh, collateral damage is probably the best word I'm looking for. Term, I should say, of GPS and everything is that people have no idea, and I'm saying this respectfully people have no idea. They may live there, they have no idea what the next street is. Oh, I just punch it into my phone, I just punch it into my GPS. I mean, I asked three people, very nice people. Like I said, it's a higher end area, it's not a bunch of uh, chooches, and uh, that's an East Coast word. <laughs> so uh, a chooch being just like a. Uh, I don't want to say it. it uh, it's hard to explain a chooch to somebody who's not from New Jersey. New York is. Uh, it's not a bad person. It's, it's, it's not that they're. I, I don't know. They're, they're, they're like a. If you ever watch Laverne and Shirley, it's Schlamiel schlamazel So it was like a Schlemiel, It's like a. They just. They just don't know what's going on, and it doesn't mean they're not smart. They just. I don't know. It's hard. To, <laughs> it's hard to. I. Uh, to. To define Chooch. But anyway, I mean. So these were. I mean. Uh, very nice people to talk to. Whatever. Nobody has a clue. And then what I found. I don't have GPS. All right. But then. The, and i'll get that people in the hotel printed out gps directions for me to get back to the interstate all right seven miles away well they printed out google maps people say oh you got google maps put it in your phone and it's free blah, blah, blah. well you know you put it this way the thing is that the google if if the google maps was so wrong in that area it it, it, unbelievable. So, but the thing is that you ask somebody, they don't know anything, and the, I guess the GPS or whatever, without an actual address. or if you want to say you go want to go to John's Creek, all right, well, this road in John's Creek, they they, they they can't do it. But anyway, so, but to get back to Virginia, the I always well for many years Charlotte and I have gone down that way as I said and uh, we used to stay in Hillsville like a weekend getaway and it's 13 miles 14 miles north of the North Carolina line then we would go to uh, uh what the heck? Uh, Mount Airy which was the town patterned after Mayberry RFD so uh so anyway nice no it was nice. that used to be a nice little getaway we enjoyed it uh but the roads are not as busy as they are now so anyway but it's a nice rural area, beautiful area, rolling hills, you know, what have you. Well, and, you know, please don't think badly of me, all right? But uh, whatever. And I'm not being judgmental because I'm a Christian. So it says, love the, you know, lo- the Bible tells us, love the sinner, hate the sin, right? And, but, you know, this is a Hilton property. Granted, it's a Hampton Inn suites, but it's still a Hilton property. And I have bad eyes. I, and, uh so when you have bad eyes, you tend to stare at things, not because you're staring at them, because you, I'm near sight in one eye and far sight in the other. I have monovision, plus I have 2400 vision. So I'm like a, a cyclops. I look with one eye at all times, and my eye has to like, like an autofocus camera to go back and forth so I could focus, so I could move, for the, so I could see something. So that tends to make me stare at things or, or look. It's not out of disrespect it's not out of nosiness but if it's a certain distance i have to stare i have to let give my brain a chance to focus my eyes so i'm i'm having the breakfast early in the morning at the hotel and there's a the front desk is there and i see what i presumed was a young man behind the counter he had long hair he had a, he was not dressed like he should be in a hilton hotel all right i mean I, i'm not a good dresser don't get me wrong but you know if you go and, if, if you're going to work you got to dress the part but anyway so and i'm um, I, I turn over i see, you know i turn over i turn my head i see the guy there's all right fine whatever and then i'm looking and my eye catches something and i see this white by his nose So I said, geez, you know, um, I'm far, I mean, I'm not far away. A normal person probably could have seen, but I'm having the breakfast. I said, geez, you know, maybe the guy had nasal surgery. About six or seven years ago, I had uh, surgery on my septum and, and my, uh, my nasal cavity and what have you I had some polyps up there but anyway so I said maybe you know here maybe he's got oxygen how do I know i mean, you see this white thing by his nose so I said all right the heck with it right whatever I'm not gonna go there and look it's that's not right so I said maybe the poor guy has some sort of medical issue right I mean so anyway to make a long story short not to belabor this I eventually was I I was forced to go that way and walk past the front desk okay well this guy had a big white plastic ring, bigger than you'd put in a ball. It was the size of a half dollar, at least, if not bigger, through his nose, all right? And black nail polish on. Now, I am very, very sorry that this is, I would not, thank God he was not there when I checked. I mean, I felt uncomfortable. With the, I wasn't afraid of the guy. I felt uncomfortable with the guy, right? And the thing is that you know and i blame hilton and you know i don't and you know i didn't say anything to them what am i going to say i'm not it's not my point to, to cure the problems of the world but to me to my way of thinking from cat swamp road there is something intrinsically wrong with a man if he dresses with a big plastic ring through his nose and black nail polish all right i'm sorry uh, i'm sorry and as as far as being an employer is concerned and, and this is who you have at the front desk of a hilton property i mean that is that is that is crazy and then you know if you probably said something to him which i would not say they would say you're a racist or you're homophobic. or i don't know what the guy was i have no idea i'm not gonna wish him any bad but you don't have that person represent the, i wouldn't have that person doing working in the laundry room to represent my business and uh, you know they probably say oh you know we can't get any help i mean that's a load of malarkey if this is the best person that you could have represent if uh, represent the hilton hotel then then you got more problems than that buddy so whatever so that is basically that so i gave you my uh my rant and rave for the trip and then let me see what else we have over here um i went I don't i went down to, to Agaco the work with the Fent division, and I'm going to be doing some 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 episodes on my radio show with them, and I recorded four episodes on my radio show, which is called which I call those getting to know. I don't do them all the time. I only do them when there I I feel that I. Uh, believe in the equipment or believe in it believe in the product and for the simple reason being i'm not a know-it-all all all right i mean what do i know about a fent tractor i know how the engine runs but i don't know i don't know so or or john deere tractor or, or whatever it may be so the thing is that so i like to have this this exchange uh with some certain products that i have faith in and believe in not just going and chasing somebody to come on the air with me and um so um i did four episodes with fent and they're gonna roll out over the course of about four months and we we uh got to know the fent rogator sprayer which is the fent ideal combine the fent momentum planter i mean this thing is and then the fent line of what they call high horsepower tractors but <clears throat> excuse me what i did come away with is that and that Fent line is unbelievable. I mean, you got if you go to a farm show, if you go to a dealer, you got to go look at it. And, and every and every, they think out of the box. Uh, they don't throw away a concept because it's 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 older. But what they basically do is say, "Is this the best way we could do it?" And uh, just really an unbelievable line of equipment. And I'm just so proud to help them get the word out. To the, um, to the agricultural community. And the AGCO, AGCO is the parent company. And AGCO, I would say, the analogy that I made to my wife, not that it made any difference, because she doesn't know anything about General Motors. But uh, if you look back in the history of General Motors, is that Alfred Sloan put General Motors together. I don't know where he got his money from. He was probably a Wall Street guy back in the nineteen early 1920s or whatever. And he he put he put General Motors was made by acquisition. He bought Delco. He bought uh, Buick. He bought Chevrolet. He bought Osmobile. He he ran some E All right. So he bought all of these brands and put it under the banner of General Motors. And in and in in like fashion, Agco about twenty five years ago was American company. They bought a whole bunch of different brands: Massey Ferguson. Over, I mean, oh, they didn't buy them overnight. Uh, GSI grain bins. They bought uh, sunflower tillage equipment. They bought precision planting meters and, and plant planter accessories. Uh, they bought uh, uh, a couple a uh, oh, gleaner, gleaner combines. So, so they put this all together. And Fendt is their premier brand, and though it has its roots in Germany, and it was uh, it's the first Fendt tractor was six horsepower. It's called uh, Diesel Ross. I guess Ross in German means horse, diesel horse. And uh, they they really I mean, unbelievable. You really you really got to look at. It. I was so impressed with the brand, with the um, with what with what they're doing with it, and I think that's great. Uh, the sprayers are made in uh, Minnesota, I believe. The planters are made in Kansas. The track tractors are made in uh, either either North Dakota or Minnesota. I forgot which they told me. And the uh, the wheel tractors currently are coming from Germany. Uh, and then the, the combine is assembled in Italy. But from what I heard, that may be changing soon and everything may be coming to the United States. But uh like any brand, I mean they source the parts from all around the world, but what have you. But uh really a phenomenal, phenomenal product line. And I'm very, very excited. And I invite you all to go as if you don't have Sirius X M, if you happen to listen to my show as I start to air those, you can always go to my website and you could uh catch those episodes. As they roll out. So, I'll probably do, probably hopefully, God willing, by April they will all be rolled out. So, I'll do about one a month. Because I don't want to have the show every week just about Fent. I mean, that's crazy. So, that is that. I'm just going to put the dragster on for a minute and get a drink of water. Now, was a New York second, right? New York minute. The New York minute, they say, is a half hour. All righty. So we went through that. So that's why I was down in Georgia. Recorded four episodes. Um, met great guys. They met. Um, I, I dealt. I, I dealt with uh, with with Connor Bergen, who was uh, the head of the. I don't. I don't even. I, I will say marketing. Who knows? I don't know what the title is. Really great guy. And and uh, Mike Warner up in Caledonia, Minnesota. Uh, who is also a longtime listener and has wrote me a note about his Ford truck I got to get back with him on it is that um, Connor's father works for um, I forgot what uh, land of lakes or something and Mike's family is in the dairy business and I think that Connor's father's a nutritionist so and uh, and what Connor told me is Caledonia has about 2200 people in it, so it's a, a it's a small town probably bigger than I'd want but coming from New Jersey I would take it and uh, really great salt of the earth guy uh and then the four i actually dealt with five brand managers four products to track the line had two but you know what's really great about this and i say this on the radio show and i'm going to move on okay. is then, and i always say it's no disrespect to anyone right but the fact of the matter is so many time well with very rare exception when you see the title brand the, the brand manager on somebody's business card they're a bs artist <laughs> right they know nothing about nothing uh they went they got some kind of marketing degree or something they got a couple of buzzwords and what have you and and like i said there's there's exceptions to that but for the most part that really is usually the case today or the past 20 years and it started in the automobile industry oh here's, i'm the brand manager for corvette and the person didn't know anything about anything they and forget about it all right that was not the case with the five brand managers that fent had me work with all right so they were all passionate about the brand they were they came from a farm background they were they were farmers or currently farming they uh, 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 I think four out of the five had engineering degrees, agricultural engineering degrees. One guy was, a, tr- the, the, uh, I, I get confused with their name, so I want to call them the wrong name because they're listening. But the one guy who's in, uh, the brand manager, and I use that term loosely, all right. Uh, is a truck pulling guy the another guy who was with the rogue spray was a dra- is a drag racer uh, motorcycle enthusiast uh, so it really it was so refreshing because to see the passion and the knowledge and and the experience and and, and wonderful i mean it was it was it was like america used to be all right not this stuff okay we gotta hire somebody with a marketing degree and they don't know anything and next week they're selling shoes or something so anyway so that is it so hopefully when those come out you will check them out all right so now let me bring you up to date on my generator so like i said i'm sorry if you know this show is like more bringing you up to date with stuff because uh, I, I i've been out of the loop with you not by not not by intent by necessity so I went before a couple of weeks back I went up to James Condon and uh to pick up my generator and uh it's fixed all right so I still have the I have the what uh, whatever you call it the generac and I bought that and I have the Briggs and Stratton home now and I did not rent the trailer I bought with something in which I should have invested in a long time ago and if you don't have a set you should buy it I bought a set of forks from my bucket on my farm tractor so I could use it, I mean, like a quasi-forklift. You can't lift 20 tons with it, like a forklift. But the thing basically, so I I, I, um, I said to, to, to Jim, I said, look, I said, it was a pain in the neck rent in a trailer from U-Haul. And it was an, I mean, it was a nightmare. So i got it i got a skid from my my uh my friend phil who was the grain mill and i just brought it up there and, and we put the generator on his skin he has a little kubota tractor up there and he has some some forks his uh, respectfully for his forks are really mickey mouse but anyway but i show. i told i sent him a picture of what my forks were but for what he does it's fine i mean uh so put it on the skid tied it down brought it home and uh so i did not it did not well he he checked it out i mean i didn't start it because i was getting ready the next week to go to the uh, to georgia so i couldn't have time for so I just put it in the garage but anyway the most important thing is what was wrong with the generator and what's the total harmonic distortion because i beat you guys to death with that well it appears what was wrong with generator was 1.2 things he said how can you have a point 0.2 thing wrong there well what and the video is going to be coming out that james did on it so it's on james condon's youtube it will be on his youtube channel it's not out yet all right so i guess whenever he's ready he'll put it out so but they're excellent videos, they're very, you're actually experiencing the diagnostics with him. So as he's finding something, he's making the diagnostics and moving forward. So it's, it's really a, it's excellent, he does an excellent job. Well, the one thing he found was a the, uh, the the 240 volt plug, which I would go into my transfer switch, is that the contacts were a little bit loose on it and the resistance would go high. That <clears throat> was not the problem that was a potential problem in the making and it was probably like that from the day I got it and I personally don't think there was any issue what well over time it could have been an issue uh but I never had any problem running the house off that plug so that was something James found and when you when the, when the when the video comes out if you watch it you'll see his diagnostic routine and it's and I said before in the podcast it's very important for you to look at that and watch that because you need to apply that same diagnostic protocols to electrical things whether it's on your farm whether it's in your refrigerator your your, your kitchen sink or kitchen sink your kitchen lights whatever all right so that's a it's a very good lesson there but what really happened was that uh i had a high resistance and low voltage coming out of my uh two 120 volt sockets so it is so it's one leg of of the uh of the generator goes to two to uh the two sockets and the other leg of the generator the uh, stator goes to the other two sockets so what he found and which was a great catch is that when they put the power head together and they did the wiring uh they sh- put too much shrink tubing on the islet so the shrink tube came down from the wire on the eyelet. so there was a very small contact point and they didn't use any washers so there was a very small contact point for that one leg on actually actually was a neutral on the uh on the stator so the thing is that and he cut that back and we put the new circuit breaker in there and everything is a hundred percent fine so so basically in essence even if somebody misdiagnosed it which i thought it was a stator because of the resistance readings all right, is that in you put a new stator and you put that same wire on there it would have been the same thing all right you would have wasted seven hundred dollars but the take-home message here like i said again repeated hopefully you look at that video once it comes out is that you have to pay attention especially now you would say well how come it worked for 36 hours and then it stopped working who knows because electricity does i could i could give you potential potential ideas why it didn't work and why it worked when i got it over to 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 james's place which was a three-hour ride in the back of u haul trailer it didn't work when i left the farm is that probably got a little bit of corrosion in it it probably uh it probably got a little bit of corrosion in it probably maybe to move a little bit who knows and probably what i personally think it had a little bit of corrosion it was not visible to the eye but enough of a corrosion that the, and then the ride going three hours in a u-haul trailer bouncing around all right probably moved it back and forth and cleaned the corrosion off because as soon as i took it off the trailer jim had worked fine all right. So the thing basically is, is that the take-home message is a diagnostic message for you to be, pay very attention on farm equipments on engines, on grain bins. All right, at the eyelets, the connections, and also pay attention to the contact point of that connection, because in this particular instance, they were overzealous with the shrink wrap all right and it bled down in there which meant that it was not making a good contact on the stator on the distribution block on the stator so you will so that is what the that's exactly what it was so i bought a new generator for for no reason all right and it was uh well i didn't know whether we were going to be able to fix it or was so that's why i bought it but that is basically that now the next thing uh that oh no, boy 51 minutes ready i'm not even halfway done but sorry about that but anyway uh next thing is let's talk about thd total harmonic distortion the skewing of the sky, sine wave now when i turning the clock back when i was getting ready to buy that generator five years ago the briggs all right briggs told me it had a t- total harmonic distortion of of less than six percent so it was at 5.9 is it four who the heck knows right less than six percent all right and that was one of the reasons or the main impetus for me to buy it all right now i didn't know as much then as i know now and i don't know what that six percent was but subsequently over the years i have seen other people published that six percent value le- less than six percent total harmonic distortion so either they all talk to the same person that i did not briggs all right, or they were fabricating a number. They were not fabricating a number because I saw this number come up many times. So obviously Briggs and Stratton was telling whoever, that that was the number, all right, less than 6%. Okay, fine. And then as you all well aware, I bought the meter to read total harmonic distortion. That was a bit of a fiasco, all right. And I brought it over to, to, to Jim. He has it right now, all right. <clears throat> and I checked my house voltage, before I brought the meter up to him, or I mailed it to him, excuse me, I didn't bring it up to him. And then my house here from Jersey Central Power & Light, which is a first energy company, my total harmonic distortion goes from about 2.3 to 2.7%, so we'll say 2.4, 2.5, which is very, very good. It's below the 5% that legally the power company has to supply. If you've listened to my shows before, this is old hat, and I'm just reiterating it to make sense i checked my new uh whatever you call it generac and it was way high uh it had about four between four and six percent of no load which is useless like saying well the engine don't leak when it's sitting and not running right so which was useless but once i put a load on it it was much much higher and it was a high high teens as far as total harmonic distortion was concerned to even though i have no love for generac after everything that went on with that is that granted they never told you a number so i can't fault them for that all right now so now i'm really excited jim has my briggs running and he looks at the sine wave on it and uh, he said me, the sine wave don't look like it's less than six i actually thought the sine wave didn't look too bad right? but he thought it. he said well it doesn't look like it's less than six percent and uh, he uses a digital scope and it kind of softened things up a little bit but whatever so uh but when I saw it, it, didn't look too bad. But it definitely looked nicer with a load on it, which was quite interesting because usually the sine wave was skewed. The total harmonic distortion will skew. So anyway, with my my amp probe meter, he reads my before I go up there to get the generator. He reads my THD on my Briggs, and I I always thought that Briggs thought uh, that thought for Briggs and Stratton. Well, it should stand for B S excrement from a male cow all right because with no load on it and i defended this thing like uh, like i'm like a she-bear defends her cubs all right and i was throwing darts at generac i'm still gonna throw darts at generac but at no load the briggs had nine percent so its threshold its foundation was much higher than the generac Right, so that was disappointing because that's not even at six less than six percent with no load. I don't know where the heck they got the six percent from. They must have been pulling it out of their their uh whatever. So um their rectum. All right. But then with a three thousand watt resistive load on it, it went up to thirteen percent on my briggs, which my generac with less than 3000 watts was 17 16 or 17%. so it's too, so basically at this particular point the briggs has more thd more skewing of the sine wave with no load which is useless but it's the foundation right like like your seed bed or the, the first block you lay for a foundation of a building and then with 30 with 3000 watt resistive load and a uh, and, and a shop vac which is i think is usually around 10 10 or 12 amps so it's about a 1200 watt load with the resistive load now why this is important because the shop vac is an inductive load all right versus a resistive load An inductive load is a a a high energy consumption well i shouldn't say high is a is a is an electric motor so an electric motor will will create total harmonic distortion all right, uh back into a circuit. So a three thousand watt in in resistive load, resistive, meaning a resistance, all right, electric heater. All right, it has a little Mickey Mouse fan in it, but that doesn't or oil oil here, so that that's that's minuscule, forget about it. And then a inductive load, <clears throat> my THD went up to sixteen percent. So based upon this, all I could say is that I was uh, that I was i was defending a briggs for what they were telling me i still the things i do like about the about the machine other than the thd i still like all right and it was it did it fail well it was a was it a quality control well it was i guess you could say it's quality control too much shrink tube on the eyelet onto the stator the neutral onto the stator uh the um the circuit breaker when they when they riveted on the terminals they were a little bit they weren't loose loose i mean but they were a little bit loose they could have been tighter up all right so those two you could claim as quality control and but <clears throat> the thd is much better than my my uh what do you call it? generac so who knows so i guess it's like anything like you go to a cemetery and this poor person died for cancer this person died from a heart attack this person died for for uh, from a car crash uh is is it better than the than the generac most definitely because the no load thd is meaningless other than it's a floor it's a foundation that you can't go below obviously but the sine wave did look better with the with the resistive load on it than it did with, uh, without it. I mean, it had a little bit of squiggly in it, but nothing, it wasn't crazy. So that is my update. Uh, I have to put gas in it. I got to fire up the uh, the Briggs now that I'm back home, get it ready for winter. I have the Generac, all right? Uh, Generac is willing to buy it back from me because what they basically did is that they did mislead the world uh, saying it was assembled in the USA with domestic and foreign parts, and it's made in Vietnam. So Vietnam is not part of America. The best that I have learned, all right, or, nat- or, or part of Wisconsin. So they are willing to buy it back for me. Uh, I don't know whether I'm going to give it back to them or not. I mean, it's paid for. So like like Jim says, you know, the best the you know, what's the most reliable generator? And his response to that when people ask him, two generators. So I don't know. So I am undecided what I mean, I'm probably going to end up keeping it and uh and That's it, and just have two of them. And God forbid, if somebody else needs one or something, the power goes out. We have another Hurricane Sandy that we'll be able to help somebody and loan it to them or what have you. So, uh, so that basically is it. So, BNS, so B, it should be remove the and sign from BNS, and then you have the proper name of the company, all right. Now, the last thing I do before I close I thought this was going to be a short show, I'm already an hour sorry about this but kyle friday uh wrote me a letter a little note and he has this 2018 chevy silverado with 77,000 miles on it he um says that from october on he gets about two to three miles per gallon less he says he's a conservative driver he's got the, the tire pressures compensated for colder weather, so all that's not good. And, and he basically uses a top-tier gasoline, I think he said in his email from for top tier, maybe not from the same station, but top tier gasolines. All right. And he was wondering whether I could give him any insight on this. Yes, I can. Uh I won't tell you the answer that you want to hear, but but in most parts of the country and and, and Kyle lives in Michigan, I think not too far out of Detroit. But most parts of the country have, uh, well, lots of areas of the country have boutique fuels. And what they basically do and what a boutique fuel is is a certain chemical composition, a certain recipe, a certain blend for that particular geographic region. So we have a boutique fuel. Well, the Northeast has a boutique type of fuel because of the air pollution here and the, and the population and density of Philadelphia and New York, even though we're on a farm, but it still comes the same way. So the thing, so without going on for two or three hours, Kyle, yes, most areas of the country in Europe and Michigan have a winter blend gasoline and they have a summer blend gasoline and usually you hit it right on the head i know here in new jersey and in the northeast we switch to a winter blend gasoline sometime in october so that doesn't mean that the guy's going to pump the gas out of his station if he has it so when his next load of gas is a winter blend gasoline and due to its chemical composition to make it to make it vaporize and not ignite because it's going to ignite no matter what once it's a vapor to vaporize better in cold weather they usually put more oxygenates in it and some other chemical compositions. I'm not a, a fuel chemist. There's so many so many things that they could do today to make this gasoline start easier in the winter and it does have less energy content because of the the chemical composition the components that they use and historically you will get two to three miles per gallon less with it even though you're using a top tier gasoline but keep in mind also that in that the the fuel business the gasoline business is a whore's business all right is that you really don't know what you're getting and the top tier is basically the additive package so the top tier has to do with keeping the engine free of deposits or removing deposits has nothing to do with the energy content of the gasoline right and why say it's a horrors business because the gasoline is sold on the uh mercantile exchange it comes to a pipeline so it's so with, with rare exception In a geographic region, it's called the base fuel. That almost every station in that particular geographic region is getting the same base fuel. That came from the distribution center. So if you're going to Shell, you're going to Sunoco, you're going to Sitco, you're going to Draze Gas, or whatever, most of the time it's the same base fuel. What they do now, depending upon, like I say, it's a whore's business. I always make it out like, make, talk like with corn. You go to a grain elevator, you're, you got this brand seed, this guy's got other brand seed, yours 120 day seed, his is 110 day seed. It all goes into the barge and goes down the river someplace, right? Into, from the grain elevator so depending how where the gasoline came from excuse me it's going to it's going to vary in its density it's not going to vary in its density in other words if if the if the distribution center buys uh, uh gallons and it all comes from the same place it'll probably through the pipeline probably have close to its same density the top tier is the additive package detergents that they add at the distribution center and so that's basically it's not going to the top tier is to keep the engine clean inside and has nothing to do with the fuel's density so the light ends of the gasoline and it's it's its energy content is going to vary and if and it sounds like it's a winter blend gasoline and it will have less energy content but have but be easier to vaporize So when you get those cold michigan mornings when it's 20 below zero f that it will have a better chance of vaporizing because the rate of vaporization of gasoline is intrinsically linked to the temperature that's right so excuse me so that basically is that another thing to keep in mind maybe not so much in october but as the weather turns colder all right i mean we know about the tire pressure kyle's great with that is that you have more wind resistance all right the air is denser it's thicker so with you going down the highway which you saw right on my fiesta the guy next to you whatever is that the air is thicker All right, it's denser. I shouldn't say thicker. It's not proper English for that. It's denser, and you will have slightly more wind resistance when the air is colder than when it is warmer out. So thinner air will, thinner air will uh, have offer less wind resistance to a vehicle going down the road. Forgetting about the gasoline. Right, and that is why I'm I'm tying this to my fuel mileage on the Fiesta. The weather basically was the same when I left New Jersey, all right, and uh, down to down to uh, wherever I go, Georgia, all right. So, through that part of Pennsylvania is hilly, that part of Virginia is hilly, and then my New Jersey gas. All right, which is a i'll call it a boutique fuel it's 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 uh, if this area i got 48 miles per gallon i think it was let's say 48 for easy arithmetic and then the gas i bought in north carolina or virginia all right which was a more which was a rural area i bought it at all right my fuel economy and and basically in essence the weather conditions were i'm not going to say they were a carbon copy but the the driving conditions up and down the mountains were not that much different from pennsylvania's a couple of longer hills i had to pull but my so that should be worse right and it actually was colder when i left virginia at the hillsville with my friend with the ring in his nose and a black nail polish all right it was actually 27 degrees so it was heavy frost out there and my fuel economy jumped up to 52 miles per gallon so it was a 51.8 i think it was and then coming home i saw the same thing i had in the mid low low 50s i never hit the mid 50s on this trip and low 50s and then i bought gas in uh pennsylvania uh let's say maybe 250 miles from the farm all right so my fuel economy dropped excuse me i'm gonna on my throat here for a second i should have put the dragster on but i don't want to mess up the buttons so it's a combination of the wind resistance the rolling resistance even though the tires are aired up correctly you have to remember a tire is pushing wind and the tire is, is has, an, has an interaction between the pavement all right and then also the winter blend of gasoline and you put it together and you very easily lose two to three miles per gallon so nothing to worry about kyle and uh and he's very good as far as adding Techron and, and everything is concerned and uh, he did end his letter with uh, wishing me a, a blessed christmas and the celebration of the birth of our savior jesus christ and i wish that to you kyle and to all of my listeners but you'll hear from me again before christmas so that basically is it sorry for being a rambling all around the map show today thank you bruce for setting me straight uh thank you kyle for for your your question to me Thank you all for listening, and I want you to know that what B and S stands for, right? And and uh, know that the Hot Rod Farmers Pong for you, the American farmer and rancher, and our beloved, beloved America. You still got time to get into that contest to win those books. Next week we're giving those suckers away. Have a blessed day. Thank you so much. Bye bye.